Hey everybody, I'm Pastor Jeff Dawes, lead pastor here at Stockbridge Community Church. And I just want to say thank you for listening to our podcast today. I hope this message inspires you and encourages you. Enjoy today's message. summer, I got the opportunity to come and speak to you uh, about one of my favorite parables. Um, and, and so that was, uh, that was all started about the Good Samaritan. And that entire parable starts with this man asking Jesus a simple question, which is, who is my neighbor? And so that's the first thing I want to talk about today before we get started. It's kind of, who is my neighbor? Uh, so we understand who that neighbor is. Because When I say neighbor, most of you think about the person that lives next door to you or down the street from you and and really who that person could be. And and so maybe today uh, you live in an apartment or you've lived in an apartment before, so your neighbor's not just the person next to you, but the people above you and below you. Raise your hand if you've lived in an apartment sometime in your life. Bless all of us, right? That is like... (laughs) If you're currently living in an apartment, that's a special kind of living because you find out things about your neighbors you never wanted to know. Like, absolutely, like, you, you know what time their alarm clock goes off. You know everything. It, it's crazy. So we're going to be talking about a couple different types of neighbors today, though, because not just the neighbors that live right next to us down the street or above or below us, but really, for me, also your neighbor, and this is what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the Good Samaritan, is... Your neighbor is the people you interact with on a daily basis. Those people around you that you continually interact with, that that you're doing life with, like the people in this room, are your neighbors. And so in the story of the Good Samaritan, the neighbor was literally just the guy that was beat up on the side of the road, that the guy decided to be a Good Samaritan to that person. And so... Anybody you work with, the, the cashier at the gas station, um, the, the, the fast food worker that hands you your Chick-fil-A every morning because you've got to have that, that biscuit in the morning, who, your coworkers, anybody you're interacting with on a daily basis, I want you to think of as your neighbor because that's what Jesus called us to think of as our neighbor is those people we interact with every single day. Day. And so I want to read from you really quick. In Mark 12, it says this It says, One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, Of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind and with all of your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. I thought it was interesting that that Jesus never talks about loving yourself. He just assumes you love yourself because, quite honestly, most of us love ourselves quite a bit. If you get on social media, you can see exactly how much people love themselves uh, with all them selfies. So there's, you know, that he doesn't have to tell us to love ourselves, but he does have to tell us to love our neighbor as 
we love ourselves, correctly? And so today, what I want to just make sure we're talking about is as we love our neighbor, compare it to what would you do for your neighbor? Is that what you would do for yourself? And so maybe a a good way to think about that is last week, Pastor Jeff uh, challenged us to prime the pump of giving. And if you were here last week, he gave you $5 to go give to somebody, to bless somebody. So have you used that $5 to bless a neighbor, somebody you interact with on a daily basis? If you haven't used your $5 yet, I challenge you to do that. When you see that opportunity to bless a neighbor, buy somebody's food, just give it to somebody that's in need, just bless somebody with that money. And if you already spent it, God gave you more money. Use that money instead. Just keep blessing people with that. So let's talk about loving your neighbor. Number one on your outline is this. Loneliness leads to division. And this is why it's so important that we love our neighbor. Loneliness leads to division. As I was doing some research for this, I wanted to see kind of what the statistics were about loneliness and how do people actually feel and, and, and is loneliness really a thing? And I found this Harvard study that was just published and it said 36% of Americans today state that they are chronically lonely. That's more than one in three people feel that they are chronically lonely. In ages 18 to 25, it's almost double. It's over 60% of ages 18 to 25 state that they are chronically lonely. In fact, of that survey, only 8% of Americans stated that they had had a conversation with a neighbor, somebody that lived near them in the last year. Only 8% of Americans have even had a conversation with somebody in the last year. And young adults say that this has actually grown quite a bit since the pandemic began. And so... 50% of those surveyed that said they were lonely, those 18 to 25-year-olds, said that they had not had a significant conversation with somebody where that person actually took an interest and and that young adult felt like they mattered in that conversation in over a month. Nobody actually reached out to them and said, hey, how are you doing? And then listened to their answer that made them feel like somebody had listened to them. And so... When I read that, I'm like, man, I am so guilty of that. I am so guilty of the fact that I will ask somebody in general conversation, and maybe I did it today in the foyer on the way in, is, hey, good to see you. How are you doing? Anybody else say that? Unfortunately, you're probably not really looking for the answer right then. It's kind of a platitude that you just kind of say. You're You're not ready for that person to be like, whew, let me tell you what's going on right now. Because then you're like, whoa, whoa, how do I back out of this conversation like real quick? I, I didn't mean for you to start unloading. I'm not a counselor, right? It's just like, but that's what people are, are craving is somebody that truly asks them, how are you doing? And, and be able to just listen to that person and how are they actually doing? And so that's something that we need to do better at. And as I read through this, it also says that social media is actually creating more loneliness, People feel like they're it's supposed to be better connected. We're connected to other people through social media. But those that use more social media are actually more lonely through all the surveys. Because what they found is that while it appears that you're connecting with people, there is no real connection through social media. 
And what I also read is that being lonely can have terrible effects on your health. Being chronically lonely, they say, has the same physical effects on your body as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. And I think we all know that smoking 15 cigarettes a day is not good for your body. They say, in fact, loneliness has a, a higher cause of death, death in America than obesity. And obesity is number, one of the number one killers. But loneliness just drives people down in their health as well. And so one of the problems with loneliness is this, is that when people are chronically lonely, it can lead to them looking for something. They're just looking for something out there, a relationship, something where they don't feel lonely. And this can lead to tribalism. And tribalism is really about this idea. What's the definition? It says here, it says, tribalism is often seen as putting one's own group above every other consideration, including kindness. So as people get lonely, it leads to tribalism. And if you want to see tribalism in full effect, just log on to Twitter. There is this thing called Twitter out there, and it is, it is complete tribalism in the fullest extent. You are, you are on one side or the other, and if you're not for this, you are against this, per the crowd, per society. If you're not for it, you're against it. And so what this is doing is causing us to be divided when Jesus called us to love thy neighbor. And so... Maybe as we come out of this political season, we just went through this big election process. Some of you may not even like your neighbor because they had the wrong political sign in their yard. Or maybe this uh, last Saturday, you know, yesterday, maybe they were rooting for Alabama and you thought they should have been rooting for the dogs, right? There's, there's tribalism in everything we do nowadays, and it's just creating this division. In Mark 3.24, it says this, if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if we're called to be the church, not this building the church, but the church that Jesus called the church, we can't be divided into these tribes of what we're against. We need to love thy neighbor and build this in our community. Everyone struggles with loneliness, and it's because we were designed to be around other people. If you look at Jesus' life as you read through uh, the New Testament, you'll see that Jesus was really in two phases all his time here on earth. He was in community with, with those around him, or he was in complete isolation talking to God. He was either in community or in isolation talking to God. There was no in-between. He didn't spend a lot of time with like just one person hanging out or anything. He was either talking to God in isolation or he was in community with those around him and, and gathering more people towards him. And so if you came to church today, great job. You're, you're trying to be in community. Now, I would also challenge you, some of you have probably been coming to this church for months and don't know the people around you. You haven't taken the time when, when the final song gets sung, you just run for the door and you're out of here because you haven't built any relationships yet in this house. And I challenge you today, stop, be intentional, say hello to somebody, compliment them on their shirt, just get to know somebody in this church so you'll start to build that feeling of community. It is so important. If you're watching online today, come visit us. We would love to hug your neck and say hello to you and, and just wish the best for you. And so 
Yeah, I know you can't make it every week, but when you can make it, show up so that we can have this sense of community. Loving our neighbors will reduce that tribalism, and that will overall help us join all together as the church in our community. Let's love thy neighbor. So I have a next step for you today. It's on the back of your connection card. It says, I will have a meaningful conversation with a neighbor this week. So that's my challenge for you. And that doesn't have to be the neighbor that lives next door to you. Like I said, that can be the gas station attendant, your coworker, somebody that you usually wouldn't interact with. I challenge you to try to have that conversation with them this week. So number two on your outline is this, a meal makes a difference. A meal makes a difference. I mean, we just came out of Thanksgiving, right? A meal makes a difference. For me, it was about five pounds of difference. But a meal makes a difference. As we read through the New Testament, we realize that most of Jesus' time in ministry was spent eating a meal with people. The author of the book, A Meal with Jesus, Tim Chester, wrote this. He said, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. That's, that's Luke's gospel. In fact, Matthew eleven nineteen 19 says, the son of man came eating and drinking. In Luke, there are over 50 references to food. In the book of Matthew, there's over 90 references to food. Jesus came eating and drinking. There is just something about enjoying a meal with somebody that just makes things different. And I don't know what it is that it like lowers people's guard or whatever it is, but a meal makes a difference. And I think that's why some of our small groups here, if you're in a small group, congratulations. If you're not, you should sign up for one in January because they're great. But I feel like a lot of the small groups here in our church, they just meet to eat a meal together. I don't even know if there's actual conversation happening, but it's like, who's bringing what this week? And we're going to have a good time. If you're the person that only brings chips and salsa, come on, step up your game. But (laughs) a meal makes a difference, right? And so for me, this is something I found in my own family in that my wife and I have always been very protective of making sure that we have like a family meal time where we all sit around the table together. Uh, We don't have cell phones at the table and we just enjoy a meal together. And it's been such a blessing over the years. And we weren't like super like this night is family meal night or anything like that, but we just made sure throughout the week we had family meals together at the table where we could just talk and interact as a family. And this is what I found is that as my kids have gotten older, my oldest daughter, Stacia, is now uh, married and, and has her own house with her husband, and then my youngest daughter's off at college they still really look forward to that family meal time where we can sit down as a family and just enjoy a meal. And there's just something about enjoying that meal together. Now, what were those conversations you had this last Thursday over a meal, right? Some of them may may have been wild. Who knows? Because Cousin Eddie was there and you don't know what happens. But For the most part, you enjoyed that family time as a meal together as a family. And so this is my my challenge to you is, when was the last time you asked your neighbor to join you for a meal? And maybe this is the person next door to you. Maybe it's somebody you've never invited over before. When was the last time you had that neighbor over for a meal? 
And maybe you're just saying like, Brandon, that sounds great, but you don't know my neighbor. Ooh, that neighbor's crazy, right? We, we, have that, we all have that neighbor, right? And so it's like, I, I don't know if I could do it. I like opened my house to that person. That sounds wild. Last time we were even near each other, we argued over the hedges. It was not good, right? It's just like they leave their trash outside. I mean, right, we, we all have reasons why we haven't shared a meal with our neighbor, but that's my challenge for you this week. In fact, when we read in Luke 19, it's because Jesus didn't just have meals with religious people and his friends. He reached out to those that weren't invited, usually meals. And it says this in Luke 19, 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. He has come to be, gone to be the guest of a sinner. So back in these days, in case you're not aware, tax collectors were like one of the lowest of the lows. Like the two bottom-ranked professions were prostitutes and tax collectors as far as society was concerned. Because tax collectors, essentially their job was the Roman government said, hey, we're putting you in charge of collecting our taxes from your citizen, your local citizens. We've put you in charge. Oh, and feel free to charge any extra you feel like. And don't worry, we have the entire Roman government and soldiers backing it up for you. So tax collectors were very corrupt usually. And it would, you know, hey, today your tax rate's double as it was yesterday because Papa needs a new pair of shoes, right? And so those people were thought of as the absolute worst people out there. And so I put it in relation to this, is maybe today when you get home, you see on the news that Jesus has returned. Jesus is, is back and he's walking this earth and he's going to be in Atlanta later today. And you're like, heck yeah, I'm going to Atlanta. I got to see Jesus. And so you go up to Atlanta and you're waiting in line to see Jesus and you're starting to talk to other people like, man, this is so rad. Jesus is back. I've been waiting for his return. This is going to be fantastic. And they're like, yeah, but did you hear what Jesus is doing tonight? You're like, what? I'm sure he's going to raise some dead. It's going to be awesome. They're like, no, no, no. He's having dinner tonight with a white supremacist, a child molester, and Vladimir Putin. <laughs> You'd be like, Jesus is doing what? Why is Jesus having dinner with those folks? He should be like, he should be like, you know, having dinner with Andy Stanley or somebody. Like, he should be having dinner with like these, these righteous people out there. What do you mean he's having dinner with Putin? Right? It's just like, but that's what these people felt in that time was like, this is supposed to be the Messiah that's come to save us. What do you mean he's hanging out with tax collectors and prostitutes and these lowest of the low sinners? That is what Jesus did. And so Jesus ate with those people. Those are the people that Jesus ate with. And let me be clear on this. Jesus ate with those people and shared meals with those people but he wasn't affirming their lifestyle. He wasn't affirming their decisions of what they've done. 
he shared a meal with them and showed them what it was like to be lifted up. He didn't lower himself down to be at their level. He was there to lift them up. So be careful of that in your whole conversations with your neighbors and all of that. And so saying all that, I would bet that Jesus would be willing to have a meal with your neighbor because your neighbor's probably not as bad as the people that Jesus was eating with. So that's going to be a challenge for you. So in fact, Jesus even recruited some of these lowest of the low to follow him, to be in his inner circle. In Matthew 9, 9, it says, as Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at a tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. Some people would say that Jesus got himself killed because of the people he ate meals with. Because Jesus was willing to go the extra mile. Because he understood having a meal with somebody was that important. That's how much having a meal with somebody means. It's not just meeting and having a conversation. It is truly sitting down and having that meal with somebody. It is so, so important. So let me ask you this. Who are you sharing a meal with? Who are you going out of your way to make sure that you sit down and have that meal time with? And remember, Pastor Jeff always says the definition of biblical love is doing good even when you don't feel like it. Maybe this is one of those opportunities for you to do good even though maybe you don't feel like it. So what's another way that we can love thy neighbor by Jesus' example? And this is number three. Jesus lived in community. Jesus lived in community. We're here as Christians today because we want to be more like Jesus. Remember we had those bracelets, those WWJD, what would Jesus do bracelets? Maybe you still have one. This is the thing. What would Jesus do? He would have a meal with somebody. He would be in a community. This is your opportunity to do those things. Jesus lived in a community. He surrounded himself with people. Earlier, I talked about how loneliness leads to tribalism. Tribalism is also referred to as the dark twin of community because community is built on a mutual love. Tribalism is built on a mutual hate. What are we against? Community about, is about what are we for? Here at church, we're here for an opportunity for a better life, right? Tribalism is about what we are against. The definition of community is this. It says, People with a common interest living in a particular area. That sounds a lot like SCC. We live in a common area. Our common interest is Jesus. We are a community. But sometimes we do this. We will mistake chemistry for community. And let me tell you what that looks like when we mistake chemistry for community. I have this friend named Jay. And Jay has been one of my best friends for, wow, 30-something years now. Jay was the best man at my wedding. I was the best man at his wedding. We've, we've raised kids together. We talk all the time. We have a common interest that we are both totally crazy about custom cars and just that entire thing. Jay and I are super tight and super close. But Jay lives in California. 
I only see Jay once or maybe twice a year. Jay's not in my community. Jay's a friend. I get along great with Jay, but Jay's not in my community. And so sometimes we will find somebody that we're close with because we, we have this chemistry with them, but they're not really in our community. And sometimes that's a family member that we're holding on to that's far away, whatever that is. We just have to be careful about that chemistry versus community. Community is people you're doing life with in a close proximity all the time. And I would argue this. If everybody you're doing life with on a regular basis looks just like you, you're not doing community right. Because if you look around this room, we don't all look alike. And thank God for that. Right? But think about your, your friend group. If they all look just like you, you're probably not doing community quite right. That's definitely not how Jesus would have done community. So I just challenge you on that today. Don't be selective about what your community is. Jesus lived in community, and Jesus hung out with sinners. Jesus talked to the outcasts. Jesus touched those that nobody else would touch. And this is how I think we need to do this. As Christians, I believe we need to do a better job at hospitality. I think we need to open our home. I think we need to organize a neighborhood potluck. I think we need to just be more inviting to people. If your house is a mess, clean your house. But open your house up. Start having people over. And this isn't something where, you know, there doesn't have to be like a big evangelism push. You don't have to like, you know, serve up some food to them. And then like, as they're taking their second bite, be like, if you died tonight, do you know where you would go? You, you don't have to do that to them in this moment. That is not what this is for. This is community. We are just opening our home and, and showing some hospitality to those around us. And don't mistake hospitality for entertainment. You don't have to entertain them. You don't have to put on a show. You don't have to do all these fancy things. Maybe you don't know how to cook. There's this thing called Google now. It will teach you how to cook. Google burrito bowl. It's pretty easy. You could figure it out. It's like four ingredients. It's, it's easy. There's, there's ways to do those things. So, and I would also challenge you that if the only time you see the people in this room is on Sunday mornings, you're probably not doing community quite right. You need to get plugged in. You need to start serving and doing life with those around you. On your connection card, we're, we're taking signups right now for Love Week. You can sign up for Love Week. Meet those people around you. Spend time with them outside of church. You could go to Growth Track. You could join a small group after the first of the year. Don't miss this opportunity to engage in community. Hebrews 13.1 says this. It says, Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers. For by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So I'm going to wrap up with this story. We came to this church 18 years ago. And um, when we came to this church, my, my daughters were little tiny kids and... Um, I was an atheist when we came to this church. We'd moved here from California, and my wife wanted to go to church. And quite honestly, I wanted my kids raised in church, even though I didn't believe in God. I'm like, uh, I probably want, I have two daughters. I want them to know what's right and wrong. So as a dad, I'm like, this seems like a good idea. So we started coming to this church uh, way back in 2005, and we'd been coming here a little while, and uh, 
one of the couples that we had got to know invited us to small group at their house. And Tawny, my wife, told me, she's like, oh, we got invited to small group at, at Andy and Krista's house. And I'm like, whew, they're like the perfect little Christian couple. Like this guy wears a sweater vest every Sunday. Like, I don't know if I'm ready for them or they're ready for me. I don't know if either one of those things is going to happen. But then she's like, well, also, Doug and Tammy are coming. And, and, and you know, Doug's into cars. You're into cars. So my wife was selling it pretty hard. So we went to small group. And uh, there, was, there may have been some other couples there, but it was really those two other couples that I remember the, the closest. And so we started doing small group, and, and there was never like a hard push on me. They, they knew who I was and what I was about, but they were never really pushing me hard. We just talked. We just did life. They just asked about our, our dreams, our, our future. What do, what do we want to see for our kids? What do we want to do with our lives? And we just started to live this life together in this community. And, and we just began to share meals together because I love eating food. And so we would go and share these meals together, not just on small group nights, but we started meeting on the weekends also and going to different restaurants and, and just doing life in community with these other couples. And it was through these relationships that I saw that these perfect little Christian families were not perfect little Christian families. They didn't have all the answers. They thought about money and all that stuff just like the rest of us. They showed me what it was like to truly be a Christian, that you don't have to have it all figured out, that you can still have an argument with your spouse, that you don't have to wear a sweater vest, all those things. <laughs> I learned going to that small group and engaging in community with those couples. And that's when I decided to give my life to Christ. It wasn't a message. It wasn't a song. It was community. So I say that to say, don't let, let an opportunity pass you by. There's a rough person out there that you need to reach around and just start doing life with them. Engage with them. Just show them what God's love is all about. You don't have to have all the answers. You don't have to put on a show. Just do life with those people. It will change their life. And it may change yours as well. So today, I know there's some people out here that need to make that decision that I had to make, which is to ask Jesus to save them. So I'm going to say this prayer as we close this message. And if, if you're one of those people that makes that decision today, you can check that box on your connection card. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be a part of this community. God, I'm so thankful for what this church has done for my family and God, for what I see them doing in the community, God. As I see this stage surrounded by toys, God, that are gonna go to those less fortunate, God, I see our community rising up to make our community better. God, to reach out, to love those, God, that maybe are difficult to love, God. God, I'm just so thankful for the relationships I've built here, God, and God, the lives that have been changed in this church. God, I ask that you work today in the hearts of those sitting here, God, and those watching online to change their heart towards those in their community, God, to find opportunities to reach out, 
share a meal with somebody, open their home to somebody, God, it just makes all the difference. They never will know the lives that they could change unless they make that step. God, if there's somebody in this room today, God, that just hasn't been doing it right, God, they realize now, God, that they need to turn their life from the life that they're living, God, and ask you, God, to forgive them of their sins, God, because we know that you died on the cross for us and were risen again. God, I ask today, God, that they make that decision, that they read that prayer, God, that they check that box for a decision, God, that will change their lives forever. God, thank you so much for this opportunity to be with these great people. In your name we pray. Amen. Hi, this is Pastor Jeff again. I just want to say I hope you enjoyed today's message. If you would like to support God's work through Stockbridge Community Church, simply go to our website at secview.net. Again, that's secview.net. And click the Give tab. We want to thank you again for being with us today. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.